My name is Tom. It's really, really good to see everybody this morning. Again, just on this, this beautiful day in this place that, that God has provided for us. So um, if you were not with us last week, we actually, we've been working on the book of Philippians for four weeks, but we actually got to verse one through 11 last week. Um, and in that, I shared about how Paul wrote all the things that he was gonna cover and one of those things that he talked about was this idea of gratitude. And I suggested to you that gratitude was what enabled him to stay connected with God and connected together, right? The name of our teaching series together with the Philippian church, even across the miles, across time, throughout hardship. And it allowed him to not just survive those difficult circumstances, but he was actually able to thrive and experience joy. And repeatedly throughout Philippians, he talks about the joy that he has because of Jesus and what he's doing in the, in the Philippian church. I wanna suggest you two more things that Paul had at his disposal and that we have at our disposal that will enable us to endure hardship well, to do things like love our enemies and to maintain um, being the person that Jesus created us to be even in those those hard times. But before I get there, I want to, um, I don't know, word of caution or just like a caveat maybe. So when we talk about Paul or any of the apostles and the disciples, it's easy to get overwhelmed, right? When we did that study in the book of Acts, I heard from you guys as individuals outside of service, how um, it was intimidating. And it was like, Oh, great. There's just another reminder of something I'm not doing or I could never do the things that Paul is doing. I, it's just reminding me that I'm a terrible person. Right? That's that's not that's not what this is about. Right. Remember, again, if you were here last week, I put up that picture of Jesus in the center and the little black dots all around where the little black dots. Right. And Jesus, through his life, death and resurrection, erased all the lines that man had set up that kept people from him. He erased the biggest line of sin and death that kept people from him. And so the idea is that we would all help each other stay facing Jesus in the middle and we would help each other move closer to him. And let's, let's remember the original intent of this letter. All of Paul's other letters, he was addressing a problem. Maybe something the church was doing wrong, maybe something, an outside force that was impacting the church. There is no such situation going on in this letter. He's just writing to say, thank you, I love you, I'm glad to be with you, and I'm, I just rejoice in who you are becoming in Jesus. Right, so that's the mindset that I would ask us to keep as we look at the next section of chapter, chapter one, we're gonna get to verses 12 through 26. Sound good? You're nodding. Okay, thank you, good. Here we go, this is Philippians chapter one. Um, starting in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. 
But what does it matter? The important thing is in, that ev in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is not more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. That's Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Matt, could you mute this for a second? There we go. Much better. Thank you. All right. So um, we're going we're gonna to start thinking about, talking about verses 12 through 14. And this is where Paul is talking about. He starts with this phrase. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know. That phrase tells us that this is something important and that there might be um, something corrective. Right? Paul is afraid that the people in Philippi are assuming the worst. There's something, scholars tell us that there's something that has changed in Paul's condition, whether he moved from house arrest maybe to um, a more severe form of captivity where um, the guards, you know, he had less mobility. I don't know, but what he, he wants the Philippians to know is that it doesn't matter that the gospel is still advancing. People are able, still, still able to come to him. He's still able to teach and on top of that, like we've discussed, because he is constantly with Roman guards, he's preaching to these Roman soldiers who are supposed to have given their sworn allegiance to Caesar, who is supposed to be their divinity, he's supposed to be a divine, a divine emperor. So although from the outside looking in, it could appear that things have gone poorly for Paul, the Philippians could be thinking, oh man, this guy who, who shared Jesus with us is, is in jail. This whole thing is done, right? We just pack it all in. Paul's like, no, that's not the case. My chains have served to advance the gospel. And not only that, not only that, but the people who are not in chains, who are following Jesus, they've been made more courageous and they're sharing the gospel. So it's being advanced even further how Paul endured hardship how we endure hardship can encourage other people if you guys have been around crossroads for a while you've heard me talk about my buddy slink back in the day we were on a hiking trip and um, one of the reasons why I stopped hiking is they don't like hiking in the rain it's not fun um, we had you know 50 pound packs we were in a group and slink had already like there are other people in the group who are kind of falling behind. Slink's like, let me have some of your pack. Give me some of your pack. So his pack's creeping up 60, 70 pounds. And we're walking through this section and it's all these exposed roots and it's raining, so they're wet. And he slips on one of them, goes completely, he's turtled. He's got a 70 pound back, 
backpack on, and he's just like on a turtle stuck on his back. And he looks up at me, he's like, Tommy, you good? You want me to take something from your pack? <clears throat> I'm like, Slink, I'm good. You know what? Maybe I should take something from your pack. Maybe I should take something from somebody else's pack. His response to hardship encouraged me, like, okay, I need to step up here. It's just rain, right? I'm not gonna melt. Let me take some, some help somebody out who's struggling with this a little bit. How we, <clears throat> how we endure hardship can encourage others. The next set of verses, um, it's like 15 through, 15 through 18. There are apparently some people who um, are like competing with Paul. Right? They, they're preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition. And we have no idea who these people are. What we do know is this, is that they are preaching the real Jesus. They're not preaching a false gospel. Paul would not have stood for it. We would have heard about it. it would have, Paul would have said, nope, they got it wrong. So two thoughts on why, why they were doing this, right? One is that they, they just didn't like Paul and they were trying to, the text says, stir up trouble for him. They thought if they could make more of a ruckus about this Jesus guy, it would make things worse for Paul. Or they were just like flat out competitive and they wanted more followers than Paul. And Paul's like, doesn't matter. Either way, Jesus is being preached. I'm good. I'm going to rejoice. And yup, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to rejoice. So here's a little, little side note and confession um, about competition. Um, I try really hard not to have a competitive mindset about the other churches in the area. And most of the time, I do, I do okay with that. Sometimes I will fall into that trap. But what difference does it make, right? If people are coming to know and grow in Jesus, it doesn't matter where they're at. I mean, of course I have a bias, right? And I think something there's something special that God is doing here at Crossroads. But in the big picture, there's great stuff going on at Calvary down the street. The gospel's being preached. There's great stuff going on at Black Rock and Fairfield. The gospel's being preached. There's great stuff going on at Bridgeport. Apostles in Christ Presbyterian are preaching the gospel and Jesus is being made known. Vox is preaching the gospel all over New England. Doesn't matter, right? Our competition doesn't have to get the better of us. Under Jesus, we're all playing for the same team. And that's what Paul was able to, to recognize. Then there's this last part, um, right? So if we think about the first part, Paul was chained but could not be contained. His enemies, his enemies, his opponents could not get the better of him. And this last one, um, I just kind of titled Service Over Self. And I wrote that and I'm like, wait, that sounds really familiar, right? So I asked my friend Google and I know what it, like I hang out, several of my friends are in the Trumbull Rotary Club and one of their mottos is service above self. So like, right, I don't wanna steal anything, let's give credit where credit is due. That's like a, a rotary thing, but as we think about what Paul is saying in his last chunk of verses in 19 through, verses 19 through 26, he's talking about placing his desires, what he wants, below the needs of the, of the Philippians. He says to live is Christ and to die is gain. So let's be really clear about a couple of things, right? Paul is not a stoic. 
He is not a stuffer. There are other places in the book of Philippians and throughout his writings where he wrestles with things like sorrow. Right? He knows that death could be around the corner, right? Like the next day. He's very aware of that. He's not pretending like it's not there. He's actually embracing it because Jesus had become the thing, right? Jesus was in the middle of Paul's page. And that for him would be far better that he be with Jesus. But it would be far better for the Philippians that Paul stayed and served them through his writing and through his prayers. This idea of, um, of, of service over self made me think of my, my friend Candace. Um, she, every once in a while, she would say, take me now, Jesus. And be like, Candace, stop it, don't say that. But she, I mean, Candace is one of the most godly women I've ever met, right? Jesus in the middle. And she taught, she mentored many young women at Crossroads and she, um, she carried my family in prayer for long periods of time but she knew that it was better to be with Jesus but that while she was here she would be serving others right service service over self so how how was Paul able to do this stuff how would we how can we do this stuff and in verse 19 I think it's verse 19 um, there are two things Paul says, through the Spirit of Jesus Christ and your prayers. Through the Spirit of Jesus Christ and your prayers. So let's break that down. First, we'll talk about the, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Our faith is a supernatural one. Right? I was talking about this with some friends on Friday. Our faith is a supernatural one. Our faith, right? being certain of what we hope for and sure of what we do not see. Right, there, we, we can study and study and logic and apologetics, all that stuff is vastly important, but we've got to put it together with an ability to trust in who God says that he is through his word and through prayer and through other people. Um, the supernatural part, right, there, <clears throat> there is a realm that we cannot see. There's a, a realm that definitely we can interact with and, and interacts with us. And it, it, it almost makes God's nature and existence hard to comprehend. Right? When, we can't, when we can't see something, when, when stuff beyond our explanation happens, it's really difficult for us to understand. I mean, even just if we think about the nature and size of God. So, I looked this up. There's somewhere around 200 sextrillion stars in the universe. That's like a 200 billion trillion. And Will is nodding at me. If you guys are into astronomy, you can you can correct that number. But there's a lot of stars. Scripture says God named them all. Right? I have two kids. I can't keep their names straight. I'm forever screwing up their names, and I'm calling them the dogs' names. But God knows the names. He named all of those stars. His, his nature sometimes makes it hard to grasp. And this is where this kind of gets mind-blowing. That God that is so big that he could create all of this out of nothing and know how it all works and hold it all together. For those of us 
who come to Jesus for forgiveness and relationship, that same God resides inside of you. That's his presence. The Holy Spirit takes up residence. He makes his house inside of you. In the Old Testament, we hear repeatedly, especially in the Psalms, how great it is to be in God's temple, right? Because that's where his presence was, in his sanctuary. His power, his glory, his peace, his comfort, his protection, all that stuff is found in the temple. And now we are the temple through that relationship with Jesus. All that stuff, right? Absolutely, absolutely mind-blowing. So there is this, you know, this person of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit that resides in each one of us. And he does some pretty specific things. Right? He's our deposit guaranteeing our eternity with Jesus. He is the one who comforts us in time of trouble. He is the one um, who challenges us up to new levels. He is the one who convicts us if we're going off the path. And again, let's be clear, right? Conviction is not condemnation. I would suggest to you that even if the Holy Spirit is calling you out on something, there will be a peace in it. A condemnation will feel crappy. A conviction will feel like, I'm with you, I know you're struggling with this, I died so we can fix this, let's do it. There will be a peace that comes with it. And then there's also the power of the Spirit, right? The, the power that, um, that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that gives us new life, the power that enables us to do exponentially more than we could physiologically on our own, and the power to unite an incredibly diverse group of people under the name of Jesus and move us forward together. So I would just recommend to you um, a book by the name of Forgotten God by Francis Chan. A couple falls ago, we did some, some group studies on it. Um, you're gonna get it, maybe you got a text already. In a couple minutes you get a text with a link to buy that book um, and also with some, some other stuff. But I highly recommend that book. I could not do justice to the Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit's work in three minutes inside of a message about Philippians. <clears throat> so please um, take advantage of that. The other part, your prayers. He's talking about the Philippians' prayers and specifically their prayers for Paul's deliverance. Now that word deliverance, the original word soteria, means rescue. It could be rescue from like bad circumstances. Paul is definitely bad circumstances. But more often than not, when it's used in scripture, it means the rescue, the safety that comes from being in right relationship with God. The prayers of the Philippians and Paul's prayers for them were providing for their deliverance. When we pray for each other, when I pray for you, when you pray for me, things happen in that supernatural realm, right? Not only do we change circumstances, but we can change eternities. We can change eternities through our prayers. Our prayers can provide encouragement. Our prayers can provide consolation. 